Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now I'm a southern child, southern child, down in Macon, Georgia. Everybody knows where I was born. Well, You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. All right, welcome back, guys, to another episode of our listener success stories. It's a little, I guess, bonus episode series we are now doing uh, as we're getting these listener success stories coming to us through Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and for this week's episode, we actually have a listener on the show, uh, Mr. Uh, Perry Bundy from North Carolina. Perry, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. 
Awesome, brother. Well, hey, glad to have you on. Andrew could not join us just because of some technical issues. This hurricane's really put a uh, 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 damper on our setup. Uh, it's kind of hard to record when we have power outages. So I'm actually in the mobile hunting, uh, mobile recording <laughs> studio, a.k.a. the Tundra, uh, knocking this podcast out. So hopefully audio sounds pretty good. But, uh, yeah, man, there's cables everywhere. But, man, Perry, I'm excited to talk to you, man. Uh, if anyone's seen the Facebook and Instagram posts, um, by the time this episode has dropped, they've seen the photos of your buck, but they <clears> haven't yet. Man, you killed one excellent – I mean, dude, I, again, as me and Andrew would say, it is a big rack buck uh, from off the game lands <laughs> of uh, North Carolina. So congratulations with that. But kind of – Thank you. Dude, to kick us off, I'm excited to hear about your story (laughs) because it's really interesting, man. A lot of guys that we talk to, you know, just have, you know, years of experience. And you're you're very different, which is exciting because, you know, having success early on is is awesome. But, man, the hit is off, Perry. What is your background? How did you get into deer hunting, and how long have you been deer hunting? So, I have not been hunting my entire life. Um basically i just started well this year um last year i had had a buddy at work named mickey ledford he uh he he kind of he heard me talking about maybe getting some deer meat for the refrigerator and he had some private property up where he lives and i said well you know sure that'd be pretty cool so we went up there and he he's kind of uh got a nice little spot he's he's cultivated it pretty good he put me on a on what I thought was a doe, <laughs> and I shot it, and you know when we walked up on it, it was a spike. So that was that was my first lesson in deer hunting. Um, then I had another friend reach out to me. He's actually the guy that that put put me on you guys. Um, his name Hunter Peg. His was kind of more residential. We kind of went to like a little cul-de-sac area, and I killed a a little button buck last year. I mean, nothing to brag or write home about, but they ate good and. Uh, that kind of kind of got me started, kind of getting the, the flame going. I had fished my entire life. Like, that's what I used to do. I used to fish probably three or four times, <laughs> three or four times a week. I uh, used to guide a little bit up here in trout water and things like that. And for whatever reason, last fall, like, my mind just switched, and I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to deer hunt. And I got a little bit of acres behind my house, and, threw up a trail camera just to see what I could see and started seeing deer and then kind of got the itch to go on game land because I heard it was hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I heard it was hard and I heard it was, you know, everybody at work, or, you know, I work up in uh, Mitchell County, so where I'm, where I'm hunting is, is up in the mountains. And everybody talks about game land because we have a very low deer density up here. Um, I, I couldn't tell you what it is per square acre, but I know it's low. But the rumor is, is if you do get a good deer or if you do, if you do the work, there's actually really good deer on public land, and uh, that kind of got me kind of got me interested. And I, I just wanted to see if I could do it. My goal for this year was to scout as much land as I possibly could, and maybe by deer season, put myself into like a a location or a tree <clears throat> and see a good deer during daylight. And I know. <laughs> My interpretation of a good deer and your listeners is going to be completely different because I've seen some of the studs they killed, and uh, <laughs> I might not see that. So a good deer would just be something that I'd be like, all right, that's a good deer. I mean, it could be 100 inches, 120, doesn't really matter. Just the point that I put myself in a position where I can see them during daylight. Um, to be honest, this time last year, so this time October last year, I had no idea what a rub was i had no idea what a scrape was 
Um, I could kind of tell you what a deer trail was, but other than that, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Um, some of the things that I do have in my favor, though, is uh, I got a little bit of military background, and I can read the topo map pretty good. So I can read and, and kind of identify some of the spots on the map that you guys talked about so much, you know, benches, saddles. I, I understand that lingo, and I can look at a topo map and kind of kind of tell what you guys are talking about. So as time went on, and I, I scouted further and further into game land, you know, I would be like, all right, well, this is a saddle. They say, you know, deer should travel here or, or this terrain edge here because I, I look on Google Earth and I, I see where a fire had happened or some type of there's, – there's a difference. So you got a terrain edge. So maybe go take a look at that. And just since January, really, I started scouting game land and I would just mark off areas that didn't have it or I would drop pins that had deer activity. And I had some really good mentors, dudes I worked with and some friends, you know, that I could bounce ideas off of. And, you know, there's one guy at work, his name's Jay Barnett. <laughs> he probably got sick and tired of me sending him photos because, you know, I got out in the woods like January and I, I see a rub on the trail. I'm like, hey, man, look at this rub. And he's like, dude, that's a woodpecker. That's a rotten tree. You know, you're an idiot. <laughs> so so that kind of happened. And, and just, just things like that, man. And uh, just getting out and beating feet really yeah well the cool thing is is your story you know is different from a lot of other guys that we've talked to and, and that's one thing when you wrote your listener success story to us and it said you know hey guys thanks for the podcast and everything else and i was asking you some questions about it it was just fascinating because with your lack of just years experience how much you were able to pack into literally in just a matter of months you know after that first season to get yourself prepared for this season and go out and kill a really good deer. I mean, a big deer. Like I said earlier, it's a big rat buck, dude. Um, I appreciate it. And I think you were talking about earlier, it's a, it's a 12 point and this is a, a fantastic buck. And especially, you know, being your first rack deer that you kill, being something of that caliber coming off game land, public land in North Carolina, in an area, like you said, that has low deer numbers, you know, it, it's not like you just lucked into that. And we're going to get down into, you know, breaking down this hunt because yes, the story is really fascinating, really interesting. Again, a guy like yourself who, you know, have like the military background. So you kind of using maps to your advantage and understanding how to read, you know, topo maps and kind of seeing aerial maps. But mm-hmm. putting the woodsmanship into learning sign and understanding sign along with trail camera use allowed you to kill that deer, which is, I mean, just awesome. I mean, it's making the luck for you. And that's exactly what it sounded like you yeah. did. You didn't just sit somewhere you know, hoping a deer was going to come by, you had an idea of what was going to happen. And we're about to break that down. Uh, and I, <laughs> I hope, I hope there's listeners out there and we have had a lot of guys reach out to us that are very new into deer hunting and hopefully your story can resonate with them <clears throat> and they can maybe learn from what you personally have gone through to maybe go out and have success themselves. Uh, because it's just exciting to see guys like yourself go out there, have success, not even just have success killing deer, but kill really good deer and can hopefully, now you can map this out in the future of how to continue to grow off what you've learned in the last few months, uh, which is fantastic. And I want to ask Perry to kind of okay. jump us into this, you know, what were some of the episodes from the show that kind of hit home for you that you could kind of start using along with like your mentors and everything else to start applying mm-hmm. to where you're hunting out there in North Carolina. So, so one of the benefits of y'all's podcast is you guys talk to guys who actually hunt areas like me. Um, the Appalachian Mountains. I'm, I'm hunting between 25 and 35 uh, feet elevation. Um, rhododendron thickets, laurel thickets, just god awful stuff. And uh, if, if how I learned 
you know, the scrapes and stuff like that was not only like people talking to me, but like your podcast and like the hunting public and Catman, And I, I binged all that. Like I, I just, I was a sponge. I listened. I just, I paid attention and I tried to like, if one of the one thing Catman talked about was like acorns, for example, how you can see the notch in the acorns. Nobody ever taught me that. So whenever I seen, you know, oaks dropping, I would look and say, well, there's a notch. That's what he's talking about. Or, or like, uh, I forget who it is. I think it was either Nathan or, or the other guy who was talking about laurel thickets and, and how, how you need to tuck up into the laurel thickets and pay attention to the laurel thickets. Uh, I wasted a lot of time earlier in the season kind of slapping up cameras in, in hardwoods with those trails and stuff. And, and when I heard that podcast, I need to tuck up into them rhododendrons and actually pay attention to like the thick stuff as opposed to you know the wide open stuff. I, I started seeing a little bit more deer um on, on trail cameras uh there was another person on the podcast I, I forget the names i'm really bad with names but he was talking about having whenever he puts a camera on the scrape he'll put it in video mode and for this 12 point it was super helpful because it would give me a, it would give me it would show me exactly what direction he walked in and what direction he walked off and which kind of kind of way he was going and i was able to pattern him from that um, I had photos of him coming in to eat acorns. And then I could pretty much track where he went. And then uh, right before daybreak, I would see him hit the scrape and, and kind of go off into the laurel. So I, I started to develop a pattern with him and kind of put a plan in place. And it, it all worked out. Well. Yeah, to kind of back up a little bit, you know, coming okay. into your first full season, you know, kind of getting more well-equipped, um, you know, having more knowledge under your belt just from what you've kind of, you know, just kind of surrounded yourself by over the last, you know, six, eight, nine months, as long as you've been trying mm -hmm. to find this information and, and trying to learn from it from all the different yeah. sources. Um, you know, when it comes to applying it out there, first off, what was some of the things you were having challenges with, you know, being a newer hunter, trying to go out there and find the sign and figure out, you know, in an area that you talk about having low deer numbers, trying to find an area that was actually holding deer. And what were some of those distractions you were kind of following yourself, you know, falling into really? Uh, man, what sucks is like, this is, I'm a new hunter and, and I don't really have any experience out in the woods. Like the, the chunk of public land that I hunt is, is massive. Like it's, it's pretty big. Um, so just a starting point, like, where do you start? All right. So what do I look for? So I listen to your podcast, kind of bounce off some other ideas off some of the dudes I work with at work. Um, give me just a couple of checkpoints that I can kind of, kind of look at. So I'll, I'll look at the topo map. I'll drop a pin. I'll be like, all right, I need to take a look here, like saddles or benches or anything different. And I'll kind of cross check that on Google earth and, and see like, well, is there, is there some type of difference in terrain? Do I have hardwoods one in spruce or, or hemlock or, or rhododendron and it goes into hardwoods? I might need to take a look at this. So those are those are kind of the the things that I started keying into. As far as like the frustrating stuff, um, earlier on, like January, February, um, I'd found some scrapes. Uh do the work that works with me. I brought him out and I was like, is this a scrape? And he said, yeah, that's a scrape or no, that's not a scrape. So whenever he, he showed me that, yes, that was indeed a scrape, I'd put up a camera and, and kind of take a look at it. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking I was the best hunter alive, but <laughs> in all reality, you know, they were coming in at like three o'clock in the morning, which means they're nowhere close. And mm -hmm. you guys kind of helped me with that because, you know, 
not time sign. I would not have known that had I not paid attention to y'all or, or you know, a couple of the other dudes that I, that I follow. But that that was pretty important. Um, and just having good mentors, just just people that you that you know you can that you can talk to about it. Like uh, there's a old man at work. His name's Tim Beaver. He's killed a whole lot of deer. And I'd, I'd pull up a I pull up my topo map. I'm like I think I, I think this would be a pretty good spot. And he'd be like. You know, you kind of sigh and move my finger over a little bit and <laughs> drop a penny so that you should check this out. And then, you know, we just did that for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then started actually finding deer. Well, so you started scouting this summer, I'm, I'm guessing, correct? You started just running trail cameras. How did you start applying trail cameras out there? What were you focusing on, in on, you know, kind of being a newer, you know, newer at this? Okay. And then how did you transition to actually locating that buck? Okay, so... The, the the most obvious thing for me because I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing is the easiest thing for me to find was scrapes. So if I found a scrape and it looked like a good scrape, and like there was a lot of deer trails around it. Like uh, I forget who who it was who was talking about the the wheel and then the hub and you had trails going in. If I found if I found that, I'd put up a, a camera and I kind of see what's in there. And if if it wasn't anything that I was really interested in, because my whole goal was to lock down a good buck on public land and I think I would do something or I think that I would accomplished something. So I marked off a lot of land that I just call like a dead area. Now they might have like little sixes, little fours. I was looking for a mature deer. That's all I wanted to see. It was just a mature deer in daylight to get myself in position. So I, I would check these ridges. I would check the finger ridges. I would check, you know, breaks and laurel and stuff like that. And I just marked off, I crossed off a lot of land. Um, it's probably been, if it's not every weekend, then it's every other weekend. I've been out scouting just different game lands around trying to find the best sign because, you know, you, your listeners will probably laugh at me, but if it's not super obvious, then I'm not going to see it. So one of the things that a couple of your guests have had on talk about feed trees and, and how you'll know whenever you find a feed tree, like, uh, especially with low, low deer population. So I found a couple, I found this flat area on, on top of a ridge and uh, it, it was like no joke. That was, it, it looked like somebody had plowed through it. There was, it's like a 40 to 50 yard, like little square. And it's <clears throat> basically the only opening in this rhododendron thicket. And this is like really old rhododendron, like, you know, uh, about as big as your thigh at the base and it just kind of branches out and it's got some trails that cut through it. So it is walkable. It's not like a true thicket. Dudes that hunt up here will know what I'm talking about, but you know it was it was the only opening, and there was just so much deer sign. Even a dummy like me <laughs> can see like there there are deer in here. Um, so I was kind of kind of looking around in that area. I put up a camera on the tree with the most sign, and then I just kind of walked around and zigzagged my way through, and and found a, a deer trail that went to this just gigantic laurel, or not laurel, but rhododendron. And it had what what appeared to be a fresh grape. Um, <clears throat> this was like mid August, and there was already like urine in the scrape. So I went ahead and put up a camera on that one too, and then went about my merry way and checked it about two weeks later. Um, <clears throat> where I went up and got to the flat, uh, <laughs> right basically on the path that I take to get up there, there was a gigantic rug. It was probably from my knee to my lower rib. And it was just, it was huge. 
And I said, okay, I might have something. So I didn't hunt that area that day. I kind of went around somewhere else and hunted, switched out the trail, uh, the, the cards, left, left, left the trail cameras and then went home. And then that night I, I seen, I seen the 12 and I thought, oh boy, <laughs> I've got something here. Yeah, so you check trail cameras, and again, you kind of had two different cameras, one set up more so like on that feeding flat where, you know, there's oaks yep. and stuff they're feeding on. The other camera being adjacent to it, kind of going towards the rhododendron kind of thicket, you yep. know, where they're kind of going back through some cover. Um, when you got him on camera at the time, uh, which, you know, y'all season normally comes in like on the 10th of September, is that correct, or a little bit later than that? I think so. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think it's like the second Saturday or something. Yeah. So you know, early to mid September season kind of comes yeah. in. Uh, when you're checking cameras, uh, that time span uh, that he was coming through there, you know, was that just like late October or late August time span, or, or was that a little bit into um, September? <clears throat> so I had him. I had him in Nakers. Um, I think it was like the last week of August. I've got a photo of him just, just kind of mulling around eating acorns as far as the scrape i think he started hitting the scrape late first weekend of the second week of, of september it was kind of surprising to me about them actually paying attention to the scrapes so that, that was something that was kind of surprising because i figured it would be a little bit later on but they, they were hitting it i've got a video of it <laughs> well, well okay so you, again, you had him on two different cameras, you know, in this one mm -hmm. area. So you had a pattern on him. What were you learning from, you know, how he was coming into those spots from your, you know, cameras, both on video and also on just photo mode? Uh, okay. So the Akron flat was probably maybe 60 to 70 yards away from the scrape. Um, I would get him coming into the Akrons right at dusk and then basically right before sunup, maybe maybe 30 minutes to an hour before sunup, he'll come and freshen up the scrape. Uh, he would hit the licking branch, he would kind of kick a little bit, and then, you know, just kind of kind of walk off. But I could tell, you know, what direction he was going um, off the scrape and kind of his general area and what trail he was taking off that scrape. So that, that kind of helped too. So you get this information and you kind of get this, you know, realization of this deer's coming through there. Is he working that area when you were checking that first camera pull? Was he working the area during daylight hours? Or actually, well, you just answered that. No, you were saying he was coming through um, yeah. feeding in the evening in that one spot on, uh, by the feed trees and then coming by the scrape, you know, right before sun up. So, okay. At what point did you decide, let me go try to kill this deer and play a move on them and what did you get them on the first <laughs> trip in or did it take a couple trips before you actually got them um well no honestly that was uh I, i'd say it was my first time hunting that area what, what i was trying to do instead of hunting a specific deer because i really thought that i had no shot at, at that 12 so what i did is i have several in that location i had several shooter deer what i would consider a shooter deer that 12 being the top had like a crab claw nine and then a, a, a pretty wide eight. And any of those three, you know, I'd, I'd been perfectly tickled pink with. So I wasn't specifically hunting that deer. And and the game plan that I came up with was, was to put myself into the best position to see, you know, one of those three deer. And basically it was the best – the best weekend I had, you know, it was a little bit of a cold front moving through. It was the first real cold front we had up here, and it was a new moon. 
you know, some of the boys at work were talking about new moons not being so great to hunt, but you know, you look on you look on the internet and they'll be like, new moon's great, new moon's terrible, so it, it all depends. It's it's whatever. But I kind of took that one guy's mentality. Um, I forget who he was, but he said, you know, if I have an opportunity to hunt, I won't go in there and make the wind work for me. So this location <clears throat> from the parking lot is like 4.3 miles GPS. So when I make the decision to go in there, I'm just going to make the wind work for me because the wind's going to do whatever it does on the mountain. I, I don't fully understand thermals. I don't fully understand all, all that type of stuff, but I, I do know that whenever I did get up to the flat, the wind was going straight up the mountain. So this oak flat that I had planned on hunting, um, this was Saturday. There was a cold front moving in. It was a new moon. I got in there around 1 o'clock because I didn't want to bump him out because, um, you know, you're, you're moving into his feeding area. I didn't want to bump him out that morning because I'd basically have to walk right past the scrape to get to that feeding area. So I kind of took a risk there. And the second risk I took was <clears throat> my, my setup. So if you can think of a square, I put my tree stand, my little saddle up in, in the top left corner of that square, the square being the oak flat. All around that square, in any direction, could be potential bedding because it is absolutely thick and nasty rhododendron. Um, so the plan that I made whenever I got up to the, to the crest of the ridge um, was I'm just going to, I'm going to sacrifice that back corner. So I'm going to, I'm going to go up to that back corner, have my wind blowing straight up the mountain and just sacrifice the rhododendrons behind me. And hopefully I'll get them or another deer coming into these acorns <clears throat> where I've had them on camera, you know, coming in right at dusk. So that, that was kind of the risk that I took. So you go in with that mindset and you said this is over four miles back there. It's 4.3 GPS. Oh man. I, I can send you the garment. So. <laughs> Dude. You don't believe it. I, I got I got GPS for it. Oh, we we uh, man. <laughs> so any anyone that's listening to the show, by the way, this is a little segue, and we're gonna get back to this. Um, if if you're not on the Running Gun Whitetail Hunters page, it's a pay, it's a group that uh, me and Andrew have run for a few years now. But uh, shared on there, it was a meme from um, uh, Timber Ninja uh, uh, Stand Company, um, and they had a meme talking about when you kill, you know, when you knock down a, a good buck, you know, over four miles in. And it's that uh, the meme of that cat, you know, with a wild eye on its face, and it's like a it's a military scene from like the Vietnam War, and uh, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> well, we'll get to that because I had that moment. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna say, yeah, the realization when you have to know you have to get them out. And I'm like, dude, four plus miles. That's dude, that is that is no freaking joke. But anyways, we're about to get to that. But okay, okay. so you go to the spot, yes, you know, you have the wherewithal to understand that, you know. All this whole area, talking like this square, the way you described it, you know, there's bedding everywhere. But you're going to sacrifice a corner of it with the wind when you get yeah. to it, just so you could have, you know, the other quote unquote kind of four corners to your advantage. Yeah. You get set up, you know, early afternoon, um, and, and kind of just walk us through the hunt, like you know, what kind of okay. happened, how did it break down? <clears throat> so y'all, y'all talk about terrain edges all the time. Well, I got a wicked terrain edge. So you have hard edge, you have hard ones like red oaks, white oaks, and I think chestnut oaks. Somebody can go up there and say, and they'll probably be like, you're, you're a dummy. You know, that's not I know white oak and I know red oak and then some gigantic acre and that was falling. But um, it's, it's, it's an incredible terrain edge <clears throat> because all around the oak flat is just that thick, nasty laurel. Anyway, I go ahead and I, I climb up 
into the tree. Um, I can see, like, in front of me from the saddle, I've got all – I've got the majority of the oak flat that I can see. I've got trails coming into my from my right out of laurel and kind of just scrub bush. I don't know what it's called, but it's just some thick, nasty crap. <clears throat> so I'm sitting there in the saddle. It's probably – three o'clock whenever I get in there and four o'clock a little yearling bear comes through and he's just stuffing his his face with some acorns and you know that's pretty cool to watch and uh I'm sitting in my saddle and I kind (laughs) of your your listeners gonna laugh but I was sitting in like a a seven-year-old in a tire swing and I was just kind of swinging back and forth and uh I heard some movement behind me you know so I kind of kind of look behind me and I, I'm looking in this thick laurel that's directly behind me and all of a sudden I see the back end of a deer and I think good grief that's a huge deer <laughs> so I went ahead and I grabbed I grabbed my crossbow now, before your listeners judge me uh, I do shoot a crossbow because I did not have time to learn how to bow hunt um, that was one of the things I kind of decided was I don't want to make a bad shot with a bow. I know how to shoot a rifle. So the crossbow kind of transitions well. And, uh, I just, I just decided this year, uh, I'll shoot a crossbow until I actually learn how to shoot a bow. Oh yeah. Listen yeah. On, on that segue, dude, I, I have <laughs> absolutely no issues with crossbows. I know there's other guys out there that do, and that's, you know, everybody can have their own opinion. My thing, especially for a new hunter, it, it gets you out there where you can yeah. you can set the house, you can practice shooting, you get consistent with it, and then yeah. it's just one less thing you have to worry about while you're out there. And, and again, as long as you're willing to carry one in the woods, I mean, have fun with it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, but I mean, I was, well, that's one thing I was going to ask actually earlier on because I knew you killed this during archery season is whether or not you were able to actually learn to shoot a bow in that short time span. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, again, you know, be able to have a crossbow and be able to go out there and have those opportunities, I mean, that's just awesome because it opens up more opportunities for you and be able to, you know, hunt more ethically than, you know, maybe yeah. getting a bow and, you know, coming apart and, and, you know, wounding a deer. Yeah. That was kind of my whole reasoning behind it because I did not have the time to, <clears throat> to dedicate to being an archer, you know, and, and, and my whole thing is I want to make an ethical shot. I want it to drop. So I decided, you know, I'll go ahead and get the crossbow and I'm still not a hundred percent sure like this is going to be my thing. So I didn't spend a lot of money on this crossbow is like the base model pse it's a coalition it's like 300 bucks so i went ahead and i grabbed my crossbow kind of going back to the story now i just see this back half there's one opening directly behind me so as i spin around in my saddle my back's up against the tree where my platform is and i'm looking directly into a rhododendron thicket and he steps out and i see i see his horns and i'm like okay that's a shooter you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and and take a shot on this if I'm if I'm able. So I look up above my scope and make sure I got a good shooting lane. I go back down, and as soon as I as soon as I put the crosshairs on his shoulder, like I see him doing the head bob that they do whenever they see it. So I'm like, ah, oh, crap, man, he's on me. And then I feel the wind on the back of my neck. So I'm like, I have to make this shot now. So I go ahead and make a good shot. Uh, I pull the trigger. I hear that. With the hunting public, I always talk about that drum sound, mm. and I see him. I see him mule kick. Well, I made two mistakes here. <clears throat> I, well, first mistake is I did not pay close enough attention to when he was running. So all the new hunters that are listening, like, 
when you take that shot, pay attention to where he's running. And also know that whenever you get down out of that tree stand, everything's going to look different. Mm -hmm. So I was able to follow him about 15 yards before he just disappeared in Laurel. I could hear him running maybe 40, 50 yards, and then I heard him. So I was like, all right, here we go. You know, I finally, you know, I did it, you know, celebration mode. Um, I know that everybody says you're supposed to wait like 30, 40 minutes before you go out of the tree and, and check the bolt. I probably waited like 15. I couldn't stand it. I was vibrating. I just knew that whenever <laughs> – I was like, here we go. So as soon as I walked down, you know, I'm, I'm expecting to see my bolt covered in blood. I'm expecting to see a blood trail. I'm expecting to walk 40, 50 yards and see this whatever deer I shot, you know, just laying there dead. Beautiful. Well, that is not what happened. So whenever I got out of the tree, I walked to the spot that I thought I shot, and I started looking, and I was like, I have no idea if this is where I shot. So I, like, looked up at the saddle because my stuff's still in the tree, you know, my backpack and everything else is still up in the tree. And I'm kind of, like, looking at the tree, looking at the spot, looking at the tree, looking at the spot. So I think that I found the area, but I'm not finding the ball. I'm not finding a speck of blood. I'm like, holy crap, man, did I miss it? So... I probably kick, <laughs> I probably, I take my, I take my shit, you know, I'm kicking up leaves, I'm kicking up roots, I'm kicking, kicking stumps out of the way, I'm looking for this bull with everything I got, because I shot the deer at 545, um, sunlight's starting to fade now, um, I'm not finding any blood, and the realization of just how far I am and how little I know is starting to set in, so... <laughs> So I'm, I'm looking around, and I cannot find blood. I can't find nothing. And it's starting to, starting to bother me a little bit. I make a phone call. I, I, I call a couple of my friends. I'm like, hey, you guys that actually hunt. Uh, one was Mickey. And I was sending him texts because he was hunting too. I was like, hey, man, here's what happened. I saw him. It sounded like a good shot. He's like, well, did it run uphill or did it run downhill? And I said, well, it ran uphill because there was a slight incline. He's like, oh, no, man, that's, that's a bad sign. So then that's in my head, too. Um, so I drop a pin to where I shot him. I drop a pin to my tree stand. I call my buddy uh, that, that lives close to me, uh, Cliff Johnson. I say, hey, man, uh, I know it's about dark. I think I shot a good deer. About 90% sure I hit him. <clears throat> I can't find blood. I can't find the bolt. can't find nothing. And you can tell he's like a little bit hesitant on, you know, coming out and helping me find it because we're so far back. And especially, you know, it's going to be nighttime. So he agrees to it. He just says, hey, just, you know, take your, take your tree stand down, take your saddle down, pack all that crap out of there. I'll meet you at the car and then we'll walk in because, you know, he doesn't know. He doesn't have the faintest idea where I'm at. So I'm going to have to pack all my stuff, 4.3 miles back down to the car and then walk all the way back up. And my biggest fear is, like, he's going to walk up here and immediately find the bolt with absolutely no blood. And uh, that, that was – I was – it was a roller coaster, man. So the highest of highs when I, when I shoot the deer and then the lowest of lows when I can't find blood. So I'm like, all right, man, that's what we do. Uh, I'll meet you in about – it's probably about two and a half hours. So it's going to take me two and a half hours to get down to you. <clears throat> so I pack all my stuff in my pack. Um, tighten everything up. It's it's pitch black now because, I, like I said, it was a new moon. Um, walking out of there, walking out of the laurel, wrote it in her ticket. Just 
pitch black. I'm mad. I think that I've, you know, ruined everything. And they get to the path that I've walked up and I, I take a, I take a look with my headlamp up that path to make sure, <laughs> in all honesty, to make sure no bears are coming or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I look up at the path and I see eyes shining at me <clears throat> and I see a huge wreck and I'm like, here we go. And I run up to it and it's a 12. I had no idea it was a 12 when I pulled the trigger. You know, everybody in a 10 mile radius heard me yell. <laughs> it was just a, it was a good time, man. Oh, so wait, so you go back, you're, you're kind of busting back through like the, the road engine and, and, uh, yes, sir. the mountain laurel, you pop out yes, on the sir. trail and that deer's dead laying there. That dead, that deer is dead laying there five feet from the trail. So he died <laughs> five feet from the trail that I walked in on. So, so how, every- <laughs> how far did he, how far did he go from where you shot him? Um, rough guess. Made a loop. We're guessing like seventy yards. I double lunged him, but how? What, what happened was is whenever I shot, since there was a slight incline, it was a thirty-two yard shot. I double lunged him, <clears throat> but I guess where it was just like level with the cavity, his cavity had to fill up the blood. Mm-hmm. So he left not a drop of blood, man. And you want to talk about a bad feeling when you're not finding blood and you're that far back and you think you got deer on the ground, but you don't. Oh God, suck. But. <laughs> I got lucky. I, I got lucky that he died right beside the trail, or else it'd have been a really long night. L- listen, I, I'm thinking here. I'm like, dude, you, uh, when you were telling me that, and you brought the walk on the trail, I'm like, this dude's about to do 16 miles to get this deer out because <laughs> over four in, f- over four back, going four more in, and then four more back. I'm like, dude, listen. All right. Well, this is this is, this <laughs> at, is a heck of a story so far. <laughs> at 4:30 in the morning, whenever we made it back to the car, I'd done 21 miles. So, and I, I got photos I'll send it to you all the time. That's, that's no joke. That is, that's Garmin. So it was, it was a long night, man. <laughs> well, so let's talk about this. Cause I, I'm just interested in how, again, you're a new hunter, dude. You, yeah. you have the confidence slash just, I mean, the, I'm going to say the boldness, dude, to get that far from the road to find the sign, which is awesome. Um, you, you get a deer down. What is running through your mind? You you got the deer down now. Are you how are you how are you planning on getting the deer out of there? Being that uh, far that's in? whenever that's whenever I had to rely on my friends, friends with a little bit more experience. Because at this point in time, I have really no idea how to cape this thing. I have no idea how to. I I, I can get the back straps, but as far as like the hams and the shoulder and everything else, I ain't got the first clue. So this is whenever I have to call up those friends. You know, the, hey, get in your phone call, but we'll do whatever you need. And you got a handful of them. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you got them, and, and I've got them too. And uh, I have I have two buddies like that. One was Cliff Johnson, one's Ryan Jacobs, and they both came up and they both helped me with it. Because it, if I, if I didn't have them, I don't know what I would do. Well, that's so. Did y'all just uh, pretty much just pack them out? Oh uh, yes, sir. So <clears throat> I, I I skipped down the mountain. I don't feel I don't feel any tiredness or nothing. I'm skipping down the mountain, just as happy as can be, you know. And uh, skip down the mountain, get to the parking lot, meet my buddies. You know, we're, we're both of them don't believe that I you know, shot the deer. I show them a photo, and they they start believing. But uh, take about a fifteen minute break. I'm a little bit tired, and I need a little bit of water because I'm out of water. <laughs> so we go back up the mountain. Um, they're pretty good, man. One brought a bow saw. If you're backpacking, you've got a buddy that'll bring a bow saw. I mean, that's that's pretty awesome. So we took the back hands. <clears throat> we took the tenderloin. My buddy took the heart. Um, we got the back straps off of them and kicked them out. 
So awesome. So y'all able to get the meat, pack them out, and uh, yes, and get them back, dude. That's that's a crazy night. And you said you were finally back at the truck with him at four thirty in the morning. I think it was it, it was between four fifteen and four thirty, and I took the shot at five forty five. The, the day before <laughs> man you, so, you get some good friends night. yeah you get some good friends i'll tell you that man especially, <laughs> especially if they're willing to suffer you know with you through that whole experience but that's awesome i mean you talk about like a memorable hunt for your first rack deer and not only just a rack <laughs> deer but like a freaking big deer dude uh, uh, i had no idea that it was a 12 like like i just i saw a rack and i identified him as a shooter he impressed me it was it would I didn't care that he was a 12 or not. He was just an impressive deer, and I, I was proud of him. So that's why I took the shot. Oh, man, that's awesome. So, you know, from that whole experience and everything, what have you learned from that? What can you kind of apply now from, again, <clears throat> you know, stuff that you've heard from other guys talk about, stuff that you personally learned? You know, how are you going to use what you've learned to kind of apply now for the rest of the season, but also maybe going into next year? That's a good question. Um let me think. Um, <clears throat> from everything that I learned from that experience, I as soon as you take the shot, you need you need to have a little bit of uh, restraint and a little bit of I guess it's calm to really pay attention to where that deer runs because it is a it is an absolutely terrible feeling to get down to where that deer is and you kind of know the direction, but then you actually I mean in all honesty, I had no idea where that deer went. As soon as I shot him, I had no idea. So the next time that I go, and if if I'm lucky enough to take another shot on the deer, I need to pay attention to where that deer runs. Um, let's see. Maybe another thing that I would that I would correct for the next time is is do like a loom. Was it a lumen knock? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a lock, I can actually a yeah. lighted knock on your on your bolt. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lighted knock on the bolt um, because I did not. I couldn't see the bolt whenever it hit. I heard it hit, but. I, I wasn't 100% confident that I hit. I was like 90% sure, but I wasn't all the way. So a lighted knock, pay attention to where the deer runs, give it time. Um, I know I was up in the stand and I was vibrating. I just give it time because if it hadn't been such a good shot, I could have potentially bumped that deer and I could have turned it into an excessively long night. Uh, let's see. Another thing. Hmm. I guess going back to the, like, you said something about, you know, new hunters listening to this. Just don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to walk. Don't be afraid to fail and just keep looking for the good sign. I mean, that's, that's what I did. And I'm, I'm not a smart guy and I'm not really a huge outdoorsman, but I was willing to walk and I was willing, willing to listen to people who know what they're talking about. You have to filter out a lot of the people who, who will give you advice and they're not, you know, they're not really who you need to pay attention to. So if you can filter out a little bit of the, the bad advice, focus in on the people who are actually willing to help you and listen to what they have to say. I think it goes a long way. That's, I mean, I would have been able to, to kill that deer without, you know, podcasts like yours or, or some of the dudes at work that pointed me in the right direction. Yeah, well, that's awesome. You know, to be honest, that's really been the goal of our show. Our show is to, you know, interview guys that are going to be relatable to people across the southeast, but really across the country, no matter the experience, whether it's somebody that's been hunting for 45 years or somebody like yourself that literally just got into it like a year ago. Um, yeah. That That is awesome. And just to be able to see how you were able to 
pick up on certain things, apply, you know, some of your background being in the military from map reading and just having the, the, the really this the, the boldness to go out there and look for the sign and just be willing to learn is exciting because again, there's, there's, I have no issue. And I, again, I'll, if a guy has private land to hunt on, that is awesome. But a lot of guys I see that get into deer hunting that hunt private land, especially in States that can bait, they get a totally different experience. And a lot of those people, they might kill a couple of deer, but they don't stick with it just because they don't see any challenge with it. There's no real kind of passion behind it other than just sitting on a green field or sitting on, you know, a bait pile <clears throat> where yeah. you're going out there, you're putting in the work and you're getting rewarded on it. You know, one reward that I think a lot of people don't think about is when you put in the effort to run trail cameras and you find a good deer or a big deer like what you've done on trail camera, that is rewarding. And then you get the reward of trying to piece apart on how you are going to try to kill one of those deer that you've got on camera or kill a deer that's in the area that's leaving down a lot of big sign. Um, we, we've got, a, by the way, I, we've got an episode coming out. We're recording this the night before this drops, but we got an episode coming out this Monday that I think will really speak to you, along with a lot of other guys on the podcast. I think a lot of people are going to listen to Monday's episode is really going to like it. Uh, but understanding how you know sign truly dictates where to hunt and how to hunt especially in areas that you can't just run trail cameras um and how you can kind of find those quality deer so it it sounds like you it's really clicked with you even though again the experience that you have is limited but you're learning very very quickly which is exciting it's exciting from my standpoint because i like seeing guys like yourself go out there have success and dude to be honest kill some deer that I myself am jealous about my man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do appreciate that, man. And, and I appreciate you um, inviting the dudes that, that hunt the mountains because that's, you can watch the hunting public. You can watch all those other type of YouTube videos or, or, or podcasts. And they do not talk about that. And that was the first time that I heard somebody talking about woods that, that I know, you know, like 25, 35, 45,000 feet elevation, like, Oh, he's talking about Laurel Thick. I know what Laurel. I know what a rhododendron is. Whenever that guy talked about, um, like, shoot, he said, like, 100 acres worth of rhododendron tickets. Like, I've been in those. So that was cool because he, he spoke to me. And I, I appreciate you, you know, going outside of Alabama and coming up to, like, Virginia and North Carolina and interviewing some of those guys because if it hadn't been for them guys telling me about, you know, rhododendron tickets, I'd have completely probably, I would have probably completely overlooked them. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, again, Perry, maybe just kind of wrap us up, you know, from what you've kind of learned from the podcast and learning in uh, kind of in person while out in the woods, what advice would you give to a new listener, you know, not a new listener, but like a new hunter that might be listening to this episode? Again, a guy maybe has been only doing this for a few months or maybe a year or two. What advice would you give them to maybe so they can learn a little bit quicker and kind of pick up on some of the things that you picked up on? Okay. So first off, get in the woods. Um, that's the biggest thing. You need to get in the woods. You need to spend time in the woods. You can't kill them from the couch. Uh, that's what Tim Beaver always told me. He's he's the old timer that I talk to at work and bounce ideas off of. You can't kill them from the couch. You got to get in the woods. The more you're in the woods, the more you're going to start picking up on stuff. Also, you need to find you a couple good mentors, people that will walk through the woods with you and show you signs, especially as a new hunter. Because, like I said, you know, about an hour ago, <clears throat> this time last year, I had no idea what a rub was. had no idea what a scrape was. But I did have some good friends that are good hunters. You know, Jake, Jake Barnett, Brett Hardis, Mickey Ledford. These guys kind of walked in the woods with me and pointed stuff out. Or I'd be 
I would walk in front of them and be like, is this a rub? Is this a scrape? Is this a deer trail? And they would, that would validate that. When they validate that, it gives you a little bit more self-confidence uh, in it. So find you some good mentors that know what they're talking about and listen to them. Just be a sponge. Listen to them. Listen to what they say. Go out. Try to find it yourself. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Well, Perry, man, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Congratulations <laughs> on an awesome buck. And best of luck to you for the rest of the season. By the way, is North Carolina a one-buck or two-buck state? Two. Two bucks. So hopefully you guys will get another photo here pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, hey, again, congratulations. Thanks again. And uh, everybody that's listening to the podcast, make sure you tune in for Monday's episode. We have an unbelievable episode on Monday. Uh, that's going to be dropping. So stay tuned for that as well. And um, by the time you hear Monday's episode, we will be out hunting in Wyoming, hopefully with a big whitetail or mule deer down the ground by then. But until next time, guys, thanks again for tuning to the episode. We'll see you back on Monday. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear how do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.